Hey there, folks. Welcome to another episode of the Cracked Podcast, the podcast all about why being alive is more interesting than people think it is. My name is Alex Schmidt, and I'm the head of podcasting here at Cracked. I'm also known as Schmitty the Clam. I'm also known as Schmitty the Champ, and I am also, also hoping I have never pissed off today's guests or or any skilled writers, including today's guests, because uh, I am joined today by two fantastic comedy writers, two returning guests to the show. They are Ben Joseph and Chase Mitchell. All three of us are writers, and so all three of us have the ability to bring a character to life from our keyboard, and uh, if a writer gets good and mad, that writer can bring a character to life that mocks a real person, or or insults a real person, or even immortalizes a real person's name and likeness and personal details as one of the most evil fictional characters of all time. And so our topic today is villains and monsters created to insult real people. One more time, that is villains and monsters created to insult real people, because that hypothetical I just said is very real, and it's happened a whole lot throughout all of the pop culture you like. Movies and shows and even books, you know, they wrote a whole book just to be mad at somebody, which is amazing. I do not write a book for any reason. Not worth it. But that's one of the ways being alive is more interesting than people think it is. Uh, That vengeful writing process we described where somebody created a villain or a monster just to insult someone who's really in the world. And we are talking about huge entertainment properties on this one, things that reached millions or even billions of people. And so this will be things you recognize and love, and it's going to be a really good time. You don't need any more setup than that. So please sit back or pull up that Word document you have, the one with the file name enemies underscore list underscore final underscore final dot docx, because that thing might have some story ideas, baby. Either way, here's this episode of the Cracked Podcast with Ben Joseph and Chase Mitchell. I'll be back after we wrap up. Talk to you then. When we've got a a lot of villains here, I like to talk about James Bond as soon as possible in the pop culture episode. (laughs) Uh, Just anytime we could do it. Chase, I think you picked out both the James Bond villains that we've got here. Yeah, I figured we could do a a little Bond block. Goldfinger's probably the most iconic one. Maybe we do that. Yeah. Yeah. um, And this is coming from a cracked article, Six Famous Works of Art You Didn't Know Were Vicious Insults by Bennett Rhea. I always thought as a kid watching Goldfinger, I always thought this is such a, it's kind of a strange choice for a villain like he just has this like farm <laughs> estate and like yeah his big plan is to irradiate gold like drop a drop a nuke on fort knox in some way yeah and then, then all his gold is worth more mm-hmm. just real elaborate and it's a lot of like npr's marketplace sort of right. ability like as a kid i was i had a real hard time with it yeah and, he, and i always and then i always kind of felt when i was reading about the movie i kind of felt bad for the actor playing him because his voice is dubbed in the movie like that's yeah. not even his voice so that guy yeah. You know, came to set, did all those, did, you know, performed for, for months and stuff like that. And then his voice just gets replaced in post. <laughs> um, I, I guess, I think apparently his accent was too thick or something like that. So that's why they replaced it. But um, yeah, yeah, he's based on a, on an architect who Ian Fleming just didn't like. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. He was uh, making these very um, kind of uh, severe looking, I don't know what the style of architecture is uh, called, but brutalist it's or? brutalist. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah, it's just very like harsh lines and stuff like that. And he, yeah, uh, was this guy who was building these like apartment complexes. And his and his last name in real life was Goldfinger. Was Goldfinger the, mo- like, the thing? That, the one thing that made up name. The one somehow. thing that you would think that he had made up was yeah. actually true. <laughs> <laughs> I think Ian Fleming had said at one point that like, oh well, if you you know if you want me to change it or something, I can call him Gold Prick. 
Uh, so he was <laughs> going to do that. And it's like, wow, the third Austin Powers movie the central oh. the central joke in the entire movie Ian Fleming came up with it first like 15 <laughs> years before <laughs> and the, also the, gold brick i think is funnier than gold member maybe yeah yeah, the, it's this guy, Erno Goldfinger. I truly yeah. believed as a kid that Goldfinger was a made-up name, because mm-hmm. who would be named Goldfinger? Also, I think Erno is maybe a better first name than they ended up... I, Auric, I think, is his name. And I think yeah. maybe they... Is the symbol for gold on the periodic table AU or something like that? I think yeah. that's why it's oh, Auric. And that's why it's Auric but, in the movie. Yeah, that's but cute. I think that first name is yeah. actually like a better <laughs> villain first name. Yeah, it's almost uh, Ernst, which is Blofeld's first name. Yeah. So it, it really uh, feels like the right vibe. Maybe that one's a double uh, uh, mockery of the guy. Yeah. I don't know. Could be. And yeah, he was. Uh, <laughs> Just really hated those buildings, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was a Hungarian born uh, architect in the UK who did uh, very tall, blocky uh, tower blocks, like big apartment mm-hmm. buildings. And he built one too close to Ian Fleming's house, and Ian Fleming thought it was ugly. Yeah, and so he <laughs> savaged this guy in the Goldfinger book and movie. He just went for it. <laughs> it's the biggest like white collar burn that you can do. I am going to yeah. mock you in my art. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess with with a lot of these that that is sort of it, right? Like yeah. maybe maybe this comes from writers not wanting to uh, uh, confront oh, these they, people. Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, that might be a thing. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's a tough guy when they're off making their stuff. If, yeah. if you ever confronted him in a bar or something like that, he'd back down immediately. <laughs> oh, oh, hi, Erno. Uh, hey. <laughs> uh, and yeah, like you said, he uh, the actual real Goldfinger got mad and, and uh, threatened to sue. And then Fleming said, I'll change it to Gold Prick. How does that sound? Yeah. And then he was like, never mind. <laughs> you, you stick. I don't know if that's how the law. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. he might have still had a case. So I'm not, I, mean, I don't think you just threaten a guy with making it worse. Yeah. <laughs> well, he also because I guess the real architect was a little over six feet tall, and apparently in the Fleming book, uh, Goldfinger is five foot zero. Yeah. As like a oh, what a weird short oh, guy. The ultimate uh-huh. burn. <laughs> and so that's maybe that would have like helped him legally. Yeah. I don't know exactly Speaking what. Speaking of dating apps, yeah, just the worst thing you can be in the world, a short man. <laughs> <laughs> the ultimate freak. Yeah. No, it's it's fine. It's okay. Just Goldfinger feels like such a made up name, and it was yeah. just Ian Fleming was mad at an architect who also apparently we'll have a link to a Guardian article about him. The architect like believed these blocky, ugly uh, apartment buildings. Uh, they were very efficient, and so he felt like if we build like this, we can uh, lift the most people out of poverty that we can, and like oh, provide so the most housing. He's actually just a can. good man. And Ian Fleming was like, "No, thank you. Don't care for that." Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> he was like, "I don't like looking at it," and so he he got mad at the guy. Yeah. And then the other one we got here is is from much more more recent James Bond. I don't think it's Fleming himself. I think it's the the '90s Bond people uh, from yeah. Tomorrow Never Dies. Yeah, which is funny because um, yeah, the Tomorrow Never Dies villain who was played by Jonathan Price, I believe, is a really yeah. Yeah. really good actor. I've always liked a lot. He was in uh, Game of Thrones as well. He played that priest guy later on in the series. Yeah, like that. Um, he's, like the, the, he's the president in both the G.I. Joe movies. Oh, I and he's also the guy who imper- right. he's also the guy who impersonates the president, so he gets to like have a fun little he's, <laughs> got, a really, he's got a really good voice. <laughs> he's got a good like he's got a good villain voice. They take the like journalistic phrase like if it bleeds it leads and they like make it like oh I'm going to make this super literal. Like I'm going to actually <laughs> cause the news and then so I can be the one to report on it first. So it's <laughs> yeah. like a completely absurd premise but you know i think looking back on it like i think it was kind of one of the more fun villains i mean he's definitely different yeah yeah 
I also liked how literally it was. I think in that movie, he's literally just writing the headlines for his newspapers on an iPad, which is not yeah. something Rupert Murdoch has ever done. <laughs> yeah, he's in, because if people don't remember Tabard Ever Dies, uh, this villain is based on Robert Maxwell, who ran Robert the Daily Maxwell, Mirror. Sorry. The character, Elliot Carver, in the movie, like you say, Ben, he's like walking around this enormous warehouse of a lair <laughs> and like, yeah, like very rapidly typing headlines that pop up on the screen. And then James Bond frowns at them, you know, <laughs> but to the rest of the world, he's just running parties. And yeah. Like, I like how they imagine that a media mogul just writes all of his own headlines in his paper. Like, that's not just, like, an underpaid, like, right. contributor or something. It's, like, a weirdly both very farsighted and very stupid villain all at the same time. Because yeah. it's, like, if you manipulate the media, you can overthrow world governments. Very smart. Yeah. But then it's also really stupid because he's typing it all himself. Yes. It's, yeah. It's ridiculous. It's a, it feels like a much more, I think because the villain ended up being, like, kind of a successful villain and, and I think one of the more successful 90s yeah. Bond movies. I think it's a little more toothless of an attempt to like, I feel like they were going for the William Randolph Hearst in uh, Citizen Kane type thing, oh. like making fun of. Yeah. And, and it's like not quite as cutting, I don't think. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and the Daily Mirror, uh, this guy, Robert Maxwell, among other things, he embezzled hundreds of millions of pounds from the employee pension fund for the oh, staff. Oh, boy. And was caught publicly calling it his fund at one point. Oh, no. And no, that's uh, you're like the British 401k for your people. You don't do that. <laughs> and he he also was apparently a pretty bad husband to his long-suffering wife. And also he, in real life, died in a yachting accident. And in the movie, they... <laughs> Those are the three most stereotypical rich phrases. Yeah. yeah. Stole from the pension fund. <laughs> long-suffering <laughs> wife. Died in a yachting accident. <laughs> <laughs> he had a top hat and a sack of money with a dollar sign on it uh, was another thing. He would have survived with the sack of money dragged into the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> he, just, he just wouldn't let go. Yeah. <laughs> so he dies in a yachting accident in real life. And then the, this character, Elliot Carver, when he dies of, of being killed by James Bond, uh, the cover oh, he story. Died. He gets like super killed. They, yeah, there's a, like a superpower. Oh, it's been so many years. It's like an undersea, there's a superpower drill. Yes. Yeah. And it's like this massive <laughs> thing. And it ends up getting like, I don't even remember the machinations of how this get how it gets pointed at him but it ends up drilling through him which would oh have just boy. destroyed a human body completely <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> and they're like no dies in yachting accident <laughs> no, yeah, that sounds much better <laughs> in the movie he dies the maxwell way yeah. yachting accident yeah yeah and like you said extremely grisly and yeah. they really went for it yeah <laughs> so whoever whoever wrote this movie in the late 90s really hated really like that guy, yeah. a whole lot we got other villains from here we can stay in Britain for a bit because Ben, you picked out the uh, the Douglas Adams thing here. Oh yeah, because Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, everybody's favorite book and radio show. Yeah, I've, right. I've always been a huge fan. And when I was fourteen, I read, or whenever I read it as a youth, there's a point where you get to the Vogons, who are the villains of the piece. Uh, <laughs> they um, they torture people with their poetry. Yeah, and Douglas Adams and, and demolish the earth, I believe. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Douglas Adams says that they have the third worst poetry in the universe after some other alien race. And I wrote the name down. I looked, actually looked it up in my copy of the book. It's Paula Millstone Jennings. And I, and I wondered as a kid, like, oh, is that a real person? And because I didn't have the internet or Google, I just forgot about it. But now <laughs> doing research for this, it turns out that's not a real person. But who is a real person? Paul Neil Milna Johnstone, who was a classmate <laughs> of Douglas Adams. <laughs> instead he, of Paula right, something, something. Pa instead of Paula Millstone Jennings <laughs> that he used in the radio play version and then after Paul sued him, he took the name out and replaced it with a, this fake woman's name. 
Yeah. And yeah. so he so he said that the absolute worst poetry in all of the galaxy and universe is by a real guy he knew. By a real guy he <laughs> knew. Just college. put it in yeah. the, the book in the show. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, depending on you ask, he either sent a polite request or filed a lawsuit to get his name taken out, which really seems like, I don't I think all these stories, it depends, you know, like yeah. how angry the person actually got. But yeah, I actually tried to look up his poetry to see if it was that bad. And it's actually very hard to find because now the thing he's only famous for on the internet is being in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, <laughs> which is, is such an absolute <laughs> destruction of a person's reputation. But the two lines I did find uh, were, oh. the crippled swan slowly easing his stiffened wings, feebly trying to discourage death's stalking shadows with with whispered hiss. And uh, I don't know anything about poetry. That sounds fine. Sounds good to me. <laughs> it sounds like what I, I would think plagiarize that is. to get an A in English class. <laughs> and then I actually I did I did also look up an interview with some classmates who did say that this guy Paul Johnstone was unbearably pompous for a nineteen year old. But Douglas Adams wasn't far behind him. Oh, that they okay. were both kind yeah. of assholes. <laughs> so, <laughs> again, like rich white people working out their problems by taking shots at each other in their art. Yeah. People forget that the Hitchhiker's Guy was first a radio show and then it was a book. And apparently, according to the crack article, like Douglas Adams a little bit improvised in a radio taping right. that this guy was the worst one. And, you know, we all improvise crazy things. Who knows? <laughs> uh, but then he like commits it to novel. Yeah, He's yeah. like, no, no, no. The whole world will read this. And I think it's in the TV show, too. And yeah, they're, they're, sure. <laughs> and I think there's actually there's a fake poem of, of his in the TV show that's also about a swan dying. So maybe that's just some detail he latched onto that like, oh, yeah, Paul's the guy oh. who writes shitty poems about swans dying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. And you're probably right that they were probably both dicks in high school because <laughs> we all are. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. the way it is. <laughs> But yeah, it's uh, crazy too that it's a, it's a book where you go all over the galaxy and meet all sorts of fictional people and then just one real guy gets shit on. Yes. Uh, and then due to maybe legal threat, he barely changed it at yes. all. It's just Paula instead of Paul. <laughs> Wait, yeah, he made it Paula. Yeah, he made it Paula Millstone Jennings, and the original person was Paul Neil Milner Johnstone. So he just made it female? Yeah, he just made it female and, like, changed the syllables around. <laughs> I'll fix it and just shit on a woman who doesn't exist. <laughs> Don't worry, a woman gets hurt this way. It's fine. Well, and there's a lot of other books here. Like, I think especially authors, maybe. They just they just keep finding reasons to be like, no, I, I'm mad at someone, so I'm going to print copies of it on, on Dead Tree and well, let everyone know. Yeah, it's because writers are the most passive-aggressive people on the planet. Yes. And rather, than, <laughs> rather than have words with any of these people, they just, uh, <laughs> just waited several years and yeah. then just put it in their writing. I wonder if it, like, helps or hurts with the writing to be, like, mad as you're doing it because I, yeah. I feel like the anger uh, can fuel you you know and it can also lead you down a rabbit hole of of just harping on how bad this person is or not wanting to like do good redrafting on it you know? <laughs> mm -hmm. seems like it's a, a tricky balance but these writers we're talking about succeeded because you've heard <laughs> of them one of them is jk rowling uh, who, who wrote the harry potter books you know and she apparently got really mad at stephen fry because uh, Stephen Fry did the audiobooks for Harry Potter. And so when he was taping the first one, he got to meet J.K. Rowling. And somebody told Stephen Fry, hey, there's going to be a sequel to this first Harry Potter book. And he said to J.K. Rowling, good for you. And apparently she thought there was some stank on it or it was an insult or something. Mm -hmm. didn't like it. And so then it turns out that Stephen Fry has a really hard time saying the phrase pocketed it. 
Like he adds an extra ed to it. So it's like pocketed it. Sure, sure. Uh, and we'll have a clip in the footnotes where you can uh, hear him say this in five Harry Potter audiobooks. He just can't do it. And so she angrily at him kept putting that phrase in the books as oh, much as man. she could <laughs> as revenge for him being like probably a little too curt at a, a brief meeting. That's as far as I can tell. <laughs> Yeah, that's <laughs> and that's in Harry Potter. Just if you read Harry Potter, you'll see it. I guess, yeah, I guess if you're a wizard, you're always pocketing stuff. I guess you don't have to go, have to go that far out of your way. That's the thing. It's, it's seamless. Wands, yeah, yeah. Potions. All kinds <laughs> yeah. Of- I see, I didn't even realize that uh, <laughs> cloak would have pockets. Yeah, I guess it seems like the British ones do, like the yeah. academic robes. I'm, I'm talking I about also, my ass. I mean, I also, we all are, but yeah. I think I could also see like... <laughs> If you told me a cloak was a British word for jacket, I'd believe that too. Just another <laughs> like it just was something completely different over there. His revenge on her was just allowing her to go on to write the uh, Fantastic Beast movie. Yes. <laughs> J.K. Rowling also plugged some other people into the books uh, that she just doesn't like. Apparently, a very vain person she knows is the definite basis for Gilderoy Lockhart. And sure. she claims that person will never realize it, and it's fine. And there's also a teacher she hated who Dolores Umbridge is based on. Writers are also just very lazy, and that's just how writing works. You just, like, when you create a character, you don't just create it out of nothing. You're like, hey, here's a person I knew. I'm going to change their name slightly and put them in this script. And that makes my (laughs) job easier because instead of having to think, what would this imaginary character say? I can just say, what would Steve say? Yeah, and he yeah, knew this real asshole, Matt, uh, so, which has inspired my character, Matt, with one T. <laughs> it's pretty savage that she was like, the person that this one character is based on will never realize it because it probably made like eight different people. They'll just never know. And they're probably oh. just wondering like, oh, God, was it me? I tried to be nice. I don't know. <laughs> she was really annoying. <laughs> I told you good for you. I meant it. Uh, too bad. Yeah, it is. Uh, I feel like maybe the first book I had that feeling with was A Farewell to Arms, where we were reading it in school. And I was like, wow, Hemingway did a really evocative book here. And then when you find out what happened, it's just like his life. He just kind of yeah. wrote it down. Mm. Uh, it's not like that impressive. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Shots at Hemingway. Good. Uh, <laughs> And then we've also got a story about Stephen King here uh, that Chase you picked out because uh, Stephen King had a horrible accident happen to him. He did, yeah. And I had not read the – so I, I was just reading his uh, column that he wrote about like just recounting what happened to him. And he should have done way worse to this guy. <laughs> <laughs> also, yeah. like it, it's Stephen King, you know. He's written like Misery and Cujo and stuff. And it's like, man, you – you had some real sadistic stuff in the chamber. Like you could have, <laughs> could have strapped this guy to a bed and broken his legs and – um, yeah, but no, they're he, all horror novels. Yeah, you could do anything. <laughs> so yeah, this guy made the horrible mistake of hitting Stephen King and turning his body into what happens to bodies in Stephen King books. Well, and hitting, um, him, hitting him with a van. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. sorry. Just specify. Yeah, he just, he just like come up behind him <laughs> <laughs> with a board or something and start beating. Him. Yeah, no, he, he hit him uh, with a van. I believe he was intoxicated. I I know he was a he was the a driver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he was a, a drug addict and. Uh, hit Stephen King, and and uh, he writes about how he looked down, and his lap was at like uh, the wrong angle, like <laughs> his entire body was just broken. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it sounds really, really horrible. And he says that the guy was Stephen King writes that this guy felt a lot like one of his own characters that he created. He was just this kind of like country yokel type dude who had been the reason why he got into the accident was because his dog bullet was um rifling through his like cooler or something like that 
in the car there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's like, hey, you can't have one of my beers. <laughs> uh, and got distracted and and hit Stephen King. And yeah, it ruined his body. And it says that like when he came to, he's, it sounds very, uh, he was in and out a lot. And it says that the guy was like sitting on a rock nearby. And was kind of looking at him like, man, look at this spot that we both ended up in. You know, kind of like, oh, isn't it crazy? Mondays, huh? Or whatever. Like, oh, God. And, what a bad uh, day for us. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, help is on the way or whatever. So Stephen King ended up making a character very d- directly based on him who has a dog named Bullet. The guy's name is Brian Smith with a Y. Yeah. Uh, in case you want to look him up and harass him. Like, no, <laughs> I, I think he has passed away, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 But yeah, uh, made him a character in his Dark Tower books. And the character's name, Brian Smith. Yeah. Uh, so it's just a game bullet. <laughs> yeah. Just so you don't miss it. Um, but Stephen King, you know, I, the Dark Tower books ended up going on long enough that Stephen King ends up making himself a character in them and stuff. So they're very, like, self referential, kind of like the Deadpool of uh, Stephen King lore, <laughs> if you will. Uh, he would really like me using that comparison, I'm sure. It'll be printed on the next one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. The guy kind of just. And just to it. be clear, like in the book, he actually hits Stephen King. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think also, but in the book, hitting Stephen King kind of destabilizes the universe, which is also maybe a little... <laughs> a little that's a very, yeah. that's kind of like an M. Night Shyamalan level, like... Uh, yeah, yeah. There was a movie, a Lady in the Water, M. Night Shyamalan makes himself, like, he casts himself as a writer whose, like, destiny <laughs> it is to, like, save the world or something yeah. like that. Cool. It's a little bit like, oh, if somebody hits me, they destabilize the universe. That's uh, a very uh, <laughs> a very healthy, healthy opinion of your status yeah, in the world. That's another writer bad habit, in yeah. addition to taking shots at your enemies, is making writers very important characters yeah, yeah which sure. or not we contribute almost nothing to society <laughs> no one wants to see our faces no one cares to hear our names we're the only ones looking for our own names in the credits <laughs> i feel like also like a protagonist who wears a hat and likes whiskey it's like yeah. oh okay yeah, that, was yeah. a, that was a male writer yeah, yeah. <laughs> i got that and yeah this uh this accident that happened to stephen king his Hip was fractured, his leg was broken in nine places. He had eight chips in his spine, four broken ribs, and 30 stitches for his head to oh, put God. it back together. Yeah. Uh, so this was very savage. And then I believe the character in Dark Tower is like a raving, awful, terrible person who like hurts a kid. And, and oh, he wow. really he really leans into it. Yeah. But it was also a horrible accident. And so it's just this like cycle between Stephen King and Brian Smith. Yeah. Back <laughs> I feel like if you, if you piss off Stephen King and that's the worst thing that he does to you, you probably... Made out, Doing all made right. Out all right. Yeah. <laughs> There's one other book here, which will be quick, because it's Edgar Allan Poe. Uh, it's a very old story, The Cask of Amontillado, which is where a guy gets basically bricked into a uh, cellar to his death. And it's because Edgar Allan Poe hated another writer who made fun of him. Uh, it was this guy, Thomas Dunn English, who wrote a story where uh, there was a character called Marmaduke Hammerhead, who was a uh, drunk. This, so this guy's name is Tommy Dunn English. Yeah. And he, and he wrote a book called Marmaduke Hammerhead. Yeah. <laughs> this guy, it's my new favorite writer. Yeah. He's <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> pretty great. He should be in schools. Um, and, uh, and so he wrote a, this character, Marmaduke Hammerhead, as like a drunk, crazy person who writes much too dark stories and is in love with his own writing, you know. Uh, <laughs> I going to say is in love with his own cousin because that also would have applied. <laughs> that would have worked too. Yeah. And so then Poe uh, wrote this story, The Cask of Amontillado, after suing Thomas Dunn English over English's story and winning so poe already beat him legally and then was like i'm just gonna keep going and write a story where uh he gets like buried in a cellar to his death that's <laughs> spoiler what happens in the spooky right. story uh, yeah 
basically anyone who writes books, they seem to be doing this. It's yes. a whole thing. Uh, avoid authors. We've also- most, most people do just naturally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's one more book here, uh, which is Bram Stoker's Dracula. Dracula is sort of a, a villain who you feel like is is from almost like olden lore, like just mm-hmm. goes that back uh, hundreds of years or something. But Bram Stoker was an Irish writer uh, who was in London, and then his day job was to be the personal assistant to the actor Sir Henry Irving. And apparently Sir Henry Irving was a jerk. Uh, he was just <laughs> like not a good boss. He made Bram Stoker do a lot of work for him and like write all kinds of letters for him and was really mean. And so then Bram Stoker went ahead and designed Dracula in his 1897 book to have eyes like Irving and long hands like Irving oh, and just any funny. Sir Henry Irving. Just says that quality. in the text and people are like, who's Irving? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I guess. I, uh... <laughs> also, it's very funny to know that like it just makes it feel so much more recent. But to know that like Bram Stoker was basically just like a PA. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He claimed to have written half a million letters on Irving's behalf. Uh, oh, and wow. Irving would joke to people like people would be like, hey, Henry Irving, did you go to college? And he'd be like, no, but my assistant has two degrees. <laughs> <laughs> and Bram Stoker would be like, I'm a PA who's too smart for my PA job. I'm mad, <laughs> which is a thing in Hollywood. It's going yeah. on. And so then, yeah. So he built Dracula after this guy. Yeah. Yeah. He went on to write Dracula and. What else? <laughs> Probably other stuff. Oh, boy. <laughs> he needed more bad bosses. That would have done it. Once the book took off, uh, Stoker offered Irving the part of Dracula in a stage play, and Irving turned it down. Uh, he was like, no. So it was did he know? still got him. Did he, did he, like, was he wise to the, you know, this is, this, uh, yeah. this is me. Yeah. <laughs> it's un- it's unclear, but I feel like you have to at that point. Page right? fifty five. You, you say it. his breath smells. What the fuck? Why? <laughs> it's not even important to the plot. <laughs> Dracula never gave anyone health insurance. You know, like. <laughs> And so, yeah, so that's another one that I just thought Dracula was from, like, you know, Eastern European legends. But it yeah, turns well, out there is the, you know, yeah. he's like supposedly based on Vlad the Impaler or whatever. But it sounds like that was just a cover story now. Yeah. <laughs> or at least like only one ingredient. Yeah. And then the rest yeah. was angry production. Just the impaling. <laughs> Every, everything else came from the Zilly. Kind of takes the punch out of Dracula that he, you know, this, this famous romantic movie monster. That he was just a bad boss. Just kind yeah. of a jerk. Yeah, yeah, I guess uh, Stoker felt that Irving was like taking his life force, you know, yeah. by, by making him work for him. Yeah. Uh, oh, he's, like, he's a, an uh, emotional vampire. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's one other monster here. This is uh, Five Legendary Monsters Who Were Based on Real People by Eric Gumeni. And it's the story of Godzilla. And specifically uh, the name. Not that someone knew a big lizard. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> Godzilla is sort of an anglicized version of the Japanese name Gojira. Gojira is a portmanteau of two Japanese words, the word gorira, which is the word for gorilla, and then the word kujira, which is the word for whale. And apparently uh, at Toho Studios, where they made the Godzilla movie, uh, there was a PR guy who was really fat. Uh, and very big, <laughs> who just worked in the PR department and had a large body. That was his entire crime. And director Ishiro Honda and some other people at the studio apparently were joking around one day about whether the guy was the size of a gorilla or a whale. And then decided, you know what? A gorilla whale. (laughs) That's just a smaller whale, man. (laughs) Just hearing your own argument there. Yeah, I don't don't know if they know the two sizes of those animals, (laughs) come to think of it. Uh, (laughs) uh, Pretty different. But um, that's either a big gorilla or a small whale. It's not. (laughs) (laughs) And it it seems like kind of a circuitous route. But that kind of portmanteau name of gorilla whale 
became what they called the giant lizard in the movie. They were like, that's a fun name. I kind of wish he was just called Gorilla Whale. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Then when they translate it to American, they just, or to English, they translate it to Gorilla Whale. That would have been great. Matthew Matthew Broderick's 1998 movie, Gorilla Whale. It would make his appearance just very confusing. Right. He doesn't look like like either of those things. (laughs) When are the gorilla and the whale going to fight the lizard? (laughs) It's it's toward the end of the movie. It's very funny to think now that like every shot of Godzilla walking through a city knocking over buildings is just fat shaming. Yeah. Like, yeah. it's just a tale of fat shaming. <laughs> poor guy. Yeah, it's a, it was a pretty uncool thing to do, yeah. Uh, yeah. frankly. I guess we only know because we found out. But yeah, just one day. <laughs> so we're actually, we're, I guess we're, it's just, us now, we're yeah. spreading uh, the information. <laughs> no one needed to know. I guess so, yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, apparently one day Ishiro Honda's diary contained the word Gojira. Uh, because of this like fun lunch conversation he had making fun of a coworker. That's it's so all weird I can that it just ended up that because the Americanized version Godzilla seems like it it seems apt like it's it has God in it. You're like, oh, that's a large being. Right? Yeah, right. Uh, God and Zilla feels like it comes from lizard. So like I've never yeah. questioned it because it always has just seemed like, oh, I see where they got there. But it's right. just not from that at all. Right, right. <laughs> I think I thought that too. Yeah, yeah. like a god lizard. Sure. Yeah. But no, it's a gorilla <laughs> whale who's a guy. Yeah, it was just a fat dude. <laughs> just a fat dude who was just being fat. <laughs> Not hurting anybody. That was all he did. That was it. <laughs> then uh, we've also, we've got a lot of TV stuff here. But one more movie before we get there is the Shrek films. Ah, classic yes. ah, uh, Unforgettable. And- we all still think about them. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> They've aged well. All their pop culture references. The- oh, man. Remember that Matrix joke in the first one? Yeah. Love them. I right. mean, the success of that led to DreamWorks Plus. Right. You guys are going to yeah. get that, right? That's the thing <laughs> you're going to do. <laughs> well, so- I actually don't know if this is a real thing or if you're oh, making a joke. Good point. Uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. I would have believed you if you said there was a DreamWorks Shrek Plus. Shrek also the first movie to ever win the best, the Oscar for Best Animated Feature. Really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's fun. (laughs) Because there just wasn't one before? Yeah, categories. Uh, Because Disney had done 10 years of amazing work. The Disney Renaissance had happened. They were like, oh my God, Beauty and the Beast was nominated for an Academy Award. We should honor more of this work. Let's create a category. And then Shrek just stomps in. (laughs) Somebody! (laughs) (laughs) I believe it's Smash Mouth is it. Yes. Uh, I really hope they got played to the stage with that. (laughs) And yeah, it's very, I guess, apt that that Disney created that award because the entire villain of Shrek is just from behind the scenes Disney fighting. There are two guys, Jeffrey Katzenberg and Michael Eisner. And Eisner was the top guy and Katzenberg was below him. They both did all this amazing Disney work. And then Eisner decides to fire Katzenberg. Katzenberg sues. It's a $382 million lawsuit. And then uh, it's very brutal. Eisner admits in the depositions that he said, I hate the little midget about Katzenberg. And Katzenberg called Eisner a psycho. And uh, while all the lawsuits are happening, they start DreamWorks animation. Katzenberg (laughs) does. He's like, I I hate Eisner, but I'm going to start my own whole thing. And so then the first movie Katzenberg makes is Shrek with this new company, and he builds Lord Farquaad. And Farquaad sounds kind of like Fuckwad. Yeah, I uh, just realized this like <laughs> two weeks ago, and I was like, holy shit, I can't believe that there are just characters walking around in a movie saying Fuckwad, like, yeah. basically. Yeah, it's uh, the whole movie, all yeah. the time. That's ridiculous. Then. Yeah, you can see in the footnotes that Lord Farquaad has Michael Eisner's face on a very small body. It just looks just like him. Oh, they animated it. So wait, but Eisner was calling Katzenberg a midget, right? 
Yeah, and so I think he just decided to make Eisner short in retaliation. This, again, this is like the second or third instance this episode of like the yes. worst thing you can do to a man is like make him small, literally. Yeah, they're, that's way too casual that they're yeah. doing that. And so, yeah, then, if there are any small listeners, I believe in you. I, you can accomplish your dreams. I don't think less of you, and you should be getting matches on dating apps. Oh, that that was uplifting. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and yeah, then the entire lair, uh, this like town castle that Farquaad lives in, is like a dig at Disney World. Because at the start of the movie, they're basically uh, selling Snow White and Pinocchio and Tinkerbell into slavery. And then there's a bunch of Disney style merchandise. And it's it's just all like the entire movie was made to be mad at Michael Eisner. Yes. It was just executives fighting each other. It's great. Great. One of the most relatable things for audiences, you know, <laughs> they love it. They, yeah. They're like, what's going on in the C-suites? <laughs> That's what I want as a child. I feel like that was the perfect time for when you were 14, you wanted that. You were like, oh, yeah, let's take Disney down a notch. I'm, I'm, I'm 14. I'm beyond all that kitty shit. That's true. But yeah. I feel, like, I feel like Disney won in the end. I feel like that kind of that sort of irony has faded out. And That's what I kind of meant up top is like the, those movies. I mean, and I personally was never a fan of the Shrek films, but like. They really haven't, you know, what's their legacy? Like, they, they look ugly, yeah. like, they haven't aged yeah. well. So, you know, I don't know if there's any uh, DreamWorks uh, <laughs> plays or listening. But I just, yeah, they were just never really my bag, and, and they suck. Yeah, it's just the, the third <laughs> iconic Mike about. Myers character? I don't yeah. know. If that's... It seems like the entire thrust of DreamWorks animation, when you start a company and you have a first hit, you kind of, that's your company now, right. you know? But, and yeah, like it steered the entire company just because Jeffrey Katzenberg was mad at his old boss. Yeah. Like, that's crazy. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. It literally starts with a Shrek ripping a page out of a, story, a fairy tale book and using it to wipe his ass. Yeah. That's a Smash Mouth place. <laughs> <laughs> the most 2000 and w- w- when did that movie come out? Uh, 2001. Yeah, the most 2001 thing of all time. Yeah, yeah. Besides 9-11. I guess that would be <laughs> it's probably number two. Yeah. <laughs> I'm with you. We have a lot of TV here. It's very exciting. There's one uh, one story here about Veep. Uh, everybody knows Veep. Chase, you picked out the uh, the story of uh, the Jonah Ryan character played yeah. by uh, Timothy Simons. Um, I wasn't aware of this, but apparently, I guess not the entire run of the show, but I think once he once he goes from like an assistant to starts having political ambitions of his own. They modeled the character on Ted Cruz, which is, um, <laughs> it's very funny. Obviously, it's an amazing show. And uh, the character is, I think if there's anything unfortunate about it, it's that Timothy Simons is such a likable actor, even playing such an unlikable character, that the character still manages to be more likable than Ted Cruz. But, yeah, um, that's true. Yeah. Basically, just the they, they took the idea of him being the most disliked person in Washington, D.C., basically, and just used that. They just folded that into <laughs> Jonah Ryan's presidential ambitions. And Ted Cruz is truly the least liked person in Washington, as far as I know. One guy whose stock has never been higher, Al Franken. Uh, in his book, <laughs> he he talks about Ted Cruz being the one person everybody hates. Uh, That's so And that, weird. like, truly nobody can deal with. And then Lindsey Graham, even. And this was a little before he became a Trump robot. But he said, like, if someone shot Ted Cruz in the Senate, uh, no one would be a witness at the trial. <laughs> and no one would care. Uh, just so, and they were in the same party, you know? Because Ted Cruz represents Texas. And it just blows my mind that you can go to, you know, big gun real man Texas yeah and, and there's enough people that yes I'm proud that this blob man represents me <laughs> yeah this <laughs> yeah right like you think there's weird, another Republican around this weird high voiced Simpsons fan <laughs> represents me in the Senate oh man his videos where he does his impressions of the Simpsons characters are like just horrifying to watch <laughs> Yeah, I, I think I've seen one and it's like 
a little he does too Mr. Burns, uncanny. Actually, he does yeah. Mr. Burns. He does. I want to say he does Homer. Yeah, yeah. it's um, all bad. Just recites scenes in a very uh, yeah. Uh, yeah wrote perfect way. Like he's, <laughs> yeah, he's very checking much his like hard drive. <laughs> someone who you knew in high school who thought they were funny, but really was just quoting things. Like that's his brand. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and yeah, and they just create this character in the show who is somehow able to run for president, even though absolutely no one in the entire world likes them. Right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, which which fits one person in all of Washington. <laughs> when this story is uh, a dark story, ultimately, but at the time it was less dark. Uh, this is from Ren and Stimpy. And uh, Benny picked this out. Because uh, John Crick Falusi? Uh Chris Falusi, yeah. Chris Falusi. Yeah, yeah I'll start by saying John that's Chris Falusi. That's we've... the first time I have ever heard it said out loud. I've always, I've always <laughs> yeah. only ever just seen it in print for my entire life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I had to look it up. But I'll, yeah, I'll start off by saying that we now know that he is a statutory rapist. Uh, yes. He had groomed and flew out young women of ages of 16 and 17 to date him while he was running Ren and Stimpy. Yeah, starting uh, he, as young as like 13, I think. Oh my God. not good. He was eventually fired not for that. But because he was <laughs> <laughs> yes, that came out later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it also it came out. It's a weird word because people knew. I mean, you know, like yeah, they, right. But uh, yeah, anyway, yeah. he was not fired because he was always bringing his young girlfriends around. He was fired because he was unreliable. Because <laughs> <laughs> he was difficult to work with, <laughs> and because he was kind of this era of the genius cartoonist. He thought that no one could replace him. And he was fired in 1992 from Ren and Stimpy, which he created, started in 91. Right. Yeah. And he tried to get the entire staff to walk with him. I think about half of them did, maybe like 20 or 30 animators did. A lot stayed behind Man. and to, to run the cartoon without him. And he said handing it over to them would be like handing it over to Milkmen, uh, which is a <laughs> weird analogy. I'm not sure why if Milkmen are known for particularly being. Yeah, they're bad at drawing. <laughs> we all know this. <laughs> So what this staff did in return was make a cartoon where Ren and Stimpy go to work for a character named Reverend Jack is a man who sells meat, but is unreliable and never finishes work on time. <laughs> and the main joke from the cartoon is that they put cheese and lunch meat on their head and they build sandwiches on their head, which is apparently pulled from an actual thing John Chris Lucy did at a party when he was Building very sandwiches dirty, put, put, built yeah. a sandwich on someone's head, which I mean... <laughs> Sure, that's a funny thing for you and your friends, but it just makes it makes it an incomprehensible cartoon, <laughs> which is funny because if you watch yeah. the cartoon without knowing the backstory, it's just nonsense. But I guess that was also Ren and Stimpy was mostly nonsense, so it's okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm um, surprised there's not more revenge art like that, yeah. where somebody is just so mad about something that they shoehorn it in <laughs> without establishing it yeah. or, or making it make sense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the final fuck you to him was that every episode, not just that episode, every episode after John Chris Lucy left. They ended with a logo of which one's the dog? Is it Ren or Stimpy? Uh, Stimpy. They yeah, ended yeah. up a logo with Stimpy as a milkman. Also, <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, the cat. The cat's Ren is the cat. No, uh, Ren is the dog. Stimpy's the cat. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> sorry, sorry to break in here, guys. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the the big the, red they, one. They, they, yeah. the, with yeah. the big red one dresses a milkman. Uh, <laughs> I remember that. I never knew what the story was behind yeah. it. That's crazy. Which again, it's fun once you learn it, but it's so weird that they could just make these insane inside jokes. And the youth of America was like, yes, this is this is our favorite thing right now. I grew up thinking that like, oh, like once he was the creator was pushed out, like, oh, you got a raw deal. The show is a creatively a shell of its former self. And yeah, Billy West started doing both the voices. And I was like, oh, man, the show like sucks now. They, they pushed out the guy who was the genius who created it. And then like Spike TV, like revived Ren and Stimpy, I think around like 2004 or something like that. And huh. brought with John Chris Felusi, like shepherding it. Oh, boy. And it was like, oh, the guy the guy who created it's back in charge. And again, this is before all the creepy stuff came out. And then he made it, and it was, like, super weird. And it was like, oh, <laughs> maybe we were just better off yeah. 
with Billy West doing all the voices and and whoever took over after that, like, like writing it and everything. Yeah, yeah. Like, the ni- the '90s were an amazing time for TV animation. It's when Cartoon Network started. It's when we got Dexter's Lab- Laboratory. We got uh, Powerpuff yeah. Girls. But it was also a golden age for horny men in their 30s drawing <laughs> drawing boobs. And yeah, <laughs> just gross characters of women. Which I think yeah. I think is a you force did. we've started to phase out of animation, but it really was. If you go back and watch a lot of stuff, yeah. Like, yeah you, if you watch early Ren and Stimpy, there is like there's multiple gags where like there's a woman whose body is obscured by like bathroom steam or something like that. And at the time, I was like, hell yeah! But then now it's like, oh wait, they, a, a person who wasn't right in the head was making this <laughs> and putting it on Nickelodeon. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I have it. I have an animation cell that I got at New York Comic Con. Few years ago, from Ren and Stimpy, and uh, I can't. <laughs> I paid. I paid a lot of money for it, and I can't frame it now. I don't want. I don't want to. Yeah, I haven't gotten I mean, rid of it either. But I'm like, I don't know what to do with this now. I mean, that show was so sexualized. Like the uh, powdered toast man character. Oh yeah. Uh, oh, yeah at at yeah. some point, I just started watching it because it was on Nickelodeon, the only channel I watched. And then powdered toast man, they grabbed his buttocks, and then my parents like didn't let me watch it. Anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, a lot of characters would <laughs> like, like I, multiple characters would like waggle their asses directly at the camera. And I was yeah. like, yeah, just like <laughs> really pendulous butts all yeah. the time. It's a children's show. Someone it's was crazy. having to animate the butt flap. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Rocco's Modern Life also had a lot of butts. Yeah, oh, it a, did. a lot of butt heavy content. Rocco felt very Ren and Stimpy influenced, yes. I think. Yeah. But has has aged better. Yes. Uh, yeah. It's also good because it has the grounding of, oh, this is a show about a guy in his twenties who's sad. Yeah. yeah. Ren and Stimpy is just a balls to the wall, insane Tex Avery cartoon. Yeah. There's like no <laughs> there's nothing grounding it. Yeah, I remember uh, Mr. Big Head trying to bowl successfully and he can't get the last pin <laughs> mm-hmm. in, in Rocco's Modern Life. I was like, oh, I'm really connecting with this middle-aged man's struggle. Like, <laughs> what? I'm watching a cartoon. <laughs> Cut it out. And yeah, and then we've got a, a little bit more TV here because one of them is two different characters in South Park. Of course, South Park would make fun of someone. They do it all the time. They, they rib on the news all the time, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, they also, two long-running characters. One of them is Leanne, who is Cartman's mom. And that is just Trey Parker being extremely, extremely mad at his old college fiance, who did cheat on him. Oh, wow. Uh, her name was Leanne. And so uh, when he made Cannibal the Musical, he made a character who was a horse named Leanne that everyone rides. And then he proceeded to make Cartman's mom, who is in all sorts of uh, sexual exploits and, and degradation, named Leanne because he's mad at her. Well, that, that was the who shot Mr. Burns of early South Park, right? Was who was Cartman's dad? Yeah. Oh, yeah, and, right, and, right. And the extremely... Now problematic twist was that his mom was his dad. Wasn't <laughs> <laughs> she, <laughs> that sounds right. right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sounds like South Park. Uh, she, she was a she was a hermaphrodite, and uh, yeah, I don't think they quite had the science on that. Totally figured out. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I totally forgot about that. I think they let that sit for a whole summer. They were going to. Yeah, oh, yeah. I remember that so well. Now. They were going to satisfy the twist, and then when they came back, they did a whole Terrence and Philip episode that they didn't announce was oh, going that's to amazing. be that. <laughs> uh, so they just trolled everyone. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's also like, they have a point. Like, why, sh- why should you care? <laughs> it's a just yeah, it's silly stupid. thing to give a shit about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then the other character here is uh, Butters, who's uh, a little bit more of a later period South Park character. This is a situation where Butters is based on a producer at the show named Eric Stowe. And his entire crime uh, is being too, like, calm and polite and sweet uh, when Parker and Stone are dealing with him. 
they initially kept calling him our little buddy and the word saying the word buddy over and over again, it sort of morphed into butters. Yep. And then they were just like, we're going to, we're going to make fun of you through this character. And Stowe asked them to not do it. And they said, we're doing it. <laughs> and then they did it. Yeah. It's a very butters move. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wait, he was a producer on the show. Is that what you said? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So he was like, you know, helping it keep running and everything. Yeah. 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 That's the, but Butters has become, I think, arguably one of the, like, definitely a fan favorite. And I would say, like, one of the most likable characters. Like, he's, for sure. He's, that's, not, that's not that bad of a legacy to have, I don't think. Yeah. And also, his thing yeah. is that he's so sweet. Like, he's just so naive. And <laughs> I mean, I guess they've had episodes say the show's been on so long that, like, we've seen Butters' darker side as right. well come out. But, you know, at his heart, the, at his baseline, the character is, like, a really sweet character. Yeah, he is. It's maybe maybe a little bit of a Flanders. They're not the same, but like it's uh, Flanders is respected. Uh, like, <laughs> so is Butters. It's good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's do one last character here. The character of Basil Fawlty from Fawlty Towers. Oh, yeah. Which is a classic British sitcom. They only made 12 episodes, but John Cleese plays Basil Fawlty, who is a hotel owner who's an asshole. And then there are farces. That's the whole thing. <laughs> I would not have guessed that there were only 12 episodes of Fawlty Towers. I just, I just, I feel like I just remember my grandma always saying, like, oh, I'm going to watch Fawlty Towers because she would watch it on PBS or whatever. And I'd be like, oh, well, yeah. there must be like eight years of that show to watch or something. But no, <laughs> there's just, I guess she was just rewatching the same fucking 12 over and over again. <laughs> We had the VHSs growing up. Yeah. And it, so it's still like six tapes, you know, mm-hmm. but uh, we would just rewatch them over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> that also maybe may shed some light on the person it turns out Basil Fawlty is based on. Because in 1971, uh, the whole group, Monty Python, uh, that John Cleese was in, they stayed at the Hotel Glen Eagles in Torquay, which is uh, the town uh, Fawlty Towers is in in the show. And the owner of the hotel was a guy named Donald Sinclair. John Cleese called him the rudest man I've ever come across in my life. And he was just basically really mad that anyone was staying at the hotel all of the time, <laughs> uh, like Basil Fawlty. He, at one point, threw Eric Idle's briefcase into the street because it could have been a bomb. Uh, you never know. <laughs> he saw Terry Gilliam holding silverware and told him he was holding the silverware wrong and tried to correct him when Terry Gilliam was like trying to eat. He knocked on Michael Palin's door one time to ask whether Palin meant to put up a do not disturb sign or not which is great, really, really bad. And he, he would uh, generally just march around uh, demanding explanations whenever somebody wanted to uh, like get hot water to heat up a baby's bottle or get an early alarm call or a late dinner or a taxi. Every time he would just be like, well, why uh, justify this? Mm-hmm. Uh, even though they were guests at the hotel. That's amazing. And yes, the, the anecdotes that you included in the research were incredible. That They just sound, they <laughs> sounded like sitcom plots. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's all, it, it's like just the logical extreme of, oh, oh, what's the comedy opposite of a hotel owner? One yes. who doesn't want anyone at the right. hotel, obviously. <laughs> like, but it's real. It's not just like a, a, an extremely simple premise. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he also uh, would do stuff like if a guest was trying to go out late, he would yell after them. And where do you think you're going? <laughs> Which is just like sketch comedy shit. Yes. Like, yeah. so he's also their dad. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and apparently all the Pythons left the hotel as soon as they could, but Cleese stayed a few more days, I guess, just to research just the guy. taking notes. Awesome. And, then, <laughs> and then that was his first, like, big thing after Monty yeah. Python. Yeah. It kind of made his career to have done a second thing on top of it. Sounds like they had enough material for more seasons. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's, right. that's the thing with British shows. They either, like, are just... 12 episodes or they run forever like yeah another one that my grandma like got me into when i was younger was red dwarf and that just ran for like years and years and years are there there a bunch of red dwarfs are there yeah it's the uh, the sci-fi comedy yeah yeah yeah. 
Uh, it you was like a, a kind a of a cool high grandma, grandma, weirdly like high. Oh, she was cool. Yeah, yeah, that uh, is cool. She's still alive. Jesus Christ. Um, Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, she uh, she turned me on to a lot of British comedy. But yeah, I feel like British shows they're either like okay, you get two seasons or eighteen. Faulty Towers, they did six episodes in 1975, and then the other six were in 1979. Oh, wow. wow. So they even, like, stopped for a long time. break in between, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Probably to go back to the hotel and get more stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I feel like something like Faulty Towers, it's almost more inspiration than revenge, but other ones, it's people who are just mad. Like, it seems like it either does lead to some good art or it only does once in a while, and these are the times it worked. It's hard to tell, yeah. you know? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of mad stuff that was written about people that we just, it was so shitty that n- none of us know about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I feel like the rage burns out after a few yeah. pages and then you, you go get a snack or something. <laughs> Folks, that's the episode for this week. My thanks to Ben Joseph and Chase Mitchell for being such funny and writerly people about all of these stories like I love the way we could uh, examine it from every direction and every angle and like think through the steps that the person took to you know insult their former boss and make them Dracula also I thank Ben and Chase in advance for never Dracula-ing me I really appreciate it and I mean that in both the vampire way and the writer way you know you never know what'll happen anyway in our food notes you will find all the revenge villains that we talked about I particularly encourage you to check out the articles about Basil Fawlty, the John Cleese main character in the British TV show Fawlty Towers. We've got an article from The Guardian and also an article from Mental Floss about how a fateful hotel stay that all of the rest of the Pythons could not tolerate at all. Uh, Cleese stuck it out and built an entire show out of this really crazy, wacky guy. A few weeks back, we talked about how the idea of a stupid doctor is one of those uh, just extremely fundamental, extremely almost too straightforward comedy ideas. Like, what's the extreme opposite of a doctor? Someone stupid. Uh, The extreme opposite of a hotel owner is someone who doesn't like guests. And uh, somehow that was a real thing in the world. And John Cleese just kind of put it down on paper. Really fun. And of course, in the food notes, you will also find more information about what Ben Joseph and Chase Mitchell are up to because they write a lot of comedy everywhere. And beyond all that, our theme music is Chicago Falcon by the Budos Band. This episode was engineered by Sam Kiefer and edited by Chris Souza. If you love this episode, that's great. If you hated it, let me know about it on social media. That's right social media, a space where Chase and Ben are extra funny, uh, just just really good, especially on Twitter. Chase is at Chase Mitt, that is Mitt with one letter T, and Ben is at Jen Bosif. Uh, so it's his name, but you flip the two first letters, you get, I guess, a lady's name. Very fun. My own Twitter account, also a slight variation on my name. It is at Alex Schmitty, so Alex Schmidt with a Y on the end. My Instagram is at Alex Schmitstagram. I'm also on the wider internet at my website, alexschmitty.com. That's got my show dates, my fun email newsletter of free internet stuff tips, and more. And I'm here to say we will be back next week with more Cracked Podcast. So how about that? Talk to you then. Talk to you then.